And now, courtesy of the 11L Network, it's LF Midwood. LF Midwood. And the Midwood Files. With the LF Midwood Experience. Here on Radio New York International. My name is Olaf Midwood. You know, not for nothing, I've been really, really trying hard to make this happen like every week. Uh, I'm finding uh, that there's always something getting in the way. Uh, oftentimes it's uh, a timing thing. Uh, I find uh, living in a house uh, with more than just the producer and myself, uh, there are times where it's just an opportune to be able to uh, set up and start recording. Uh, and again, uh, until my studio is back in some sort of... Uh, order or shape uh, i'm not really going to have the level of privacy uh, that i like but um as an upgrade and i'm hoping possibly to get me back on track i am actually physically sitting in the room that is the studio and i do physically have the door closed uh which means that theoretically i should be uninterrupted uh if there's any strange noises emanating from anywhere we'll just have to uh we'll have to deal but uh, I am going to make uh, a little bit more of a, an attempt uh, to be uh, weekly rather than uh, what has apparently been uh, bi-monthly for the last uh, couple of few shows. Uh, in personal news, um, I had a doctor's visit, or I should say I went to go see the doctor uh, about 10 days ago, give or take. And uh, my diabetes is way under control, and I'm back on my diabetes meds, so that's good. Uh, my weight's about 185. Uh, I'm on one of my mood stabilizers, not all of them, because uh, I've yet to uh, get my uh, Medicaid right away. So uh, I, uh, I'm limited on what I can spend on meds, but I, uh, I am feeling stabler, for lack of a better term. Uh, there's uh, still some flux stuff going on uh, here. Uh, we're not 100% sure whether we're going to be staying in the house that we're in or whether we're going to be moving into the house on the uh, other property, the adjoining property, which is also uh, owned by the family. We're not quite sure how things are going to shake out, uh, which has retarded the process of building out my studio, of course. Uh, but uh, then, uh, you know, a bit of uncertainty as to exactly how things are going to play out. Uh, things are, you know, mostly, well, status quo around here, not for nothing, you know. Uh, very quiet still, uh, although, you know, I have, uh, this is actually kind of interesting. Uh, there were, uh, three goats that, uh, moved in to the backyard and my bedroom window is right, faces the backyard. It's a little, little gated backyard type deal. Uh, there's, uh, there were three goats, uh, because, um, the, uh, cousins have, uh, become involved with 4-H again, uh, which they were doing when their kids were younger, but now it started to volunteer again. So uh, they have three goats from last year's 4-H uh, program. And I think tonight they went to pick up another three goats. So although I have not stuck my head out the window today, uh, I'm pretty sure there's six goats out there. <laughs> so, which is, you know, kind of interesting. I, I had never uh, realized the uh, gamut of noises that goats make. They Apparently uh, it's not just bats, a whole bunch of other stuff too, you know. Uh, and they cough and sneeze just like human beings. It's really strange. Very, very, very strange. Uh, so also in the uh, livestock category, I, I think most of you knew this because I had mentioned this before. We have uh, two pigs uh, that uh, live uh, on the, uh, they have a, well, a pen. I guess it's a pig pen <laughs> uh, towards the front of the house, which would be that way. And it doesn't mean anything to you if this is all you, but I'm pointing that way. Um, so we had them like for like a while now, right? And uh it looks like, uh, because um, it had rained here a lot uh, last week, week, you know, week before last, coming into this week. And uh, it's Wednesday night as I'm recording this. It's late Wednesday as I'm recording this, by the way, just for uh, time frame purposes. 
And so it had been raining a lot. So when we're walking around outside, we noticed that the uh, friggin' um, the dirt was all kind of uh, mucked up and, and marked up. And it looked like there had been some sort of pack of animals, literally, for lack of a better term, to come through, you know? So, um, because there's wild hogs in the area, which are actually dangerous to people who do have uh, pet pigs and who raise pigs around here because they carry disease and whatnot. But um, there's there's wild hogs and there's coyotes. I hear coyotes all the friggin' time. Uh, so we figured, you know, it's uh, some sort of maybe a couple of few hogs, wild hogs, or a couple of few coyotes or something just kind of coming through, right? So uh, one of the neighbors um, had a, a trail cam set up. Um, to see what the deal was and uh it turns out check this out it turns out there's like over 30 wild hogs running around in the general vicinity yeah and, and apparently they only do like early morning hours they like sleep during the day or whatever but um and i'm like that's crazy <laughs> i mean that's literally literally crazy uh the uh prevailing theory is is that um, there is probably some sort of construction going on somewhere, and they were wherever they were, uh, they kind of got um, kind of got pushed out um, to uh, to move into or to start to forage for food in more populated areas. Uh, now, there's no way you know of animal control doing anything about it with that many uh, that many hogs, but uh, in Texas, in Texas, it's uh, real tight on their EPA stuff, you know, and their animal protection and all that kind of thing. Um, you can just kill a lot of hogs. You can just, doesn't need to be in season. There's no hunting season for them. You, they're considered to be a menace. Uh, and uh, um, what's that? I forget what that word is. Uh, but yeah, the, I guess menace would be the word. So you can just, uh, you can just kill them, you know. Uh, there are people who apparently eat them, but given that disease factor again, I don't know if that's anything that I would actually be interested in doing, even if I did manage to shoot a hog. Um, but that's, um, you know, you don't run into stuff like that in, in the city. You know, or even in the suburbs. Yeah, there's 31 hogs running around. <laughs> All right. <laughs> anyway, um, that's it, like, in personal news. You know, what's going on in my world. Uh, there is some news I wanted to get to. Uh, obviously, that's uh, primarily what this show is about, is uh, news current events and uh, commentary on uh, said news and current events. Uh, I have my phone, and I did post some stories uh, that I was uh, interested in doing. Uh, this is one I didn't get a chance. I was I really wanted to go on last week, like I said, but uh, things kind of didn't happen. So this was uh, this was from last week, and it's even though it's a week old or maybe a little bit over a week old, I thought it was kind of interesting. This is from uh, RockCelebrities.net. Johnny Ramone's widow Linda starts a legal battle against Pete Davidson's Joey Ramone movie. A new Ramones biopic written by Pete Davidson caused Johnny Ramone's widow to start a legal battle. In the lawsuit, Linda Ramone alleged that Joey's brother, Mickey Lee, secretly worked on an unapproved and unauthorized Ramones biopic, namely the upcoming Netflix biopic, I Slept with Joey Ramone, based on his own biased retelling of the Ramones' history. Linda's lawsuit encompasses a range of other accusations against Lee and David Frey, a director of the Ramones holding company appointed by Lee. Linda contended that the duo has effectively halted the entire company unfairly, with, withheld payments to her, and disrupted the overall operation of the company. Miss Ramones uh, objects to defendants attempting to recreate a Ramones film without her involvement, not to be obstinate, but rather based on defendants' disregard for Ramones' assets and their conduct and treatment of Miss Ramone and her late husband. To permit defendants alone to tell the authoritative story of the Ramones would be an injustice to the band and its legacy. Netflix has indicated that the movie would be created with the cooperation and support of the estate of Joey Ramone. However, in her lawsuit, Linda asserts that such projects requires approval from Ramon's productions, not just Joey's estate. Uh, Linda's legal representatives claim that Lee and Frey have communicated their intention to bypass any objection she may rise, uh, raise regarding the movie. Even considering the possibility of re-recording Ramon's songs for the potential use in the film. Linda asserted that by doing so, they aim to present an authoritative story of the band unfairly. Uh, Pete Davidson has been chosen to play Joey Rowan in the upcoming biopic. The announcement of the film, which pays tribute to the lead singer of the uh, influential New York punk band, The Ramones, was made on April 15, 2001. 
uh, which marked the 20th anniversary of Ramon's passing at the age of 49 after a seven-year battle with lymphoma. The film is a collaboration between Netflix, STX Films, and, and uh, with Davidson and director J uh, Jason Orley, known for the big-time adolence, uh, developing and producing the project. The screenplay is based on the treatment written by Davidson and Orley, drawing inspiration from the 2010 memoir of the same title by Ramon's brother, Mickey Lee. The movie, developed in collaboration with Ramon's estate, is set to have executive uh Producers including Davidson Lee, David Spiegelsbergman, and Rory Rosegarten. So that's, uh, now some of you may recall, um, there was a, uh, pretty big ruckus when, uh, I believe the story goes is that, uh, Linda, quote unquote, Linda Ramon, uh, was, uh, was dating Joey Ramon, uh, and they were, uh, seriously involved to some degree. And uh, she threw him over for Johnny. And that's one of the reasons, if not the main reason, that Joey and Johnny Ramon did not really talk to each other too much uh, in the latter part of the Ramon's career. They went out there, did their job, and, and that was it. There was no uh, no love loss between the two of them. Um, I know uh, I have uh, Mickey Lee's uh, um, book, um, I Slept With Joey Ramon, which is actually rather clever because he's his brother. And I have never had a chance to read it though, so I guess uh, I guess I want to read it before the treatment of the of the biopic comes out. But uh, I'm guessing that Linda Ramon is concerned about how she and her husband are going to be portrayed, uh, particularly in a story that may be or a narrative that may be uh, incredibly biased uh, in regards to uh, favorable to uh, to Joey Ramon. And everybody loves Joey Ramon, or everybody loved Joey Ramon. He was just not for nothing. He was just like one of those guys where it's like, oh. You know, a very um a very sympathetic character, I guess would be the best way to put it. And it was uh, certainly a shame when he died. You know, when I started to hear Ramon's songs for like I remember the first time I heard it on like a uh, I think it was like a, a a Budweiser commercial, I was like you know <laughs> so, <laughs> so I kinda knew it, you know, I kinda knew it was over and whatnot in regards to you know. But uh yeah, Ramon's obviously one of the most influential punk bands ever ever to walk the face of the planet, as I say. Uh, and, uh, and they get their due. They get their due 100%. So, and I, I know for a fact that there's been talk of quote unquote a biopic film for, I mean, it's gotta be at least 10 years, a solid 10 years that's been talk on and off. So whatever winds up coming of it, I'm actually, uh, I'm actually uh, kind of interested, but I would advise if you are fans, um, find all the biographies that you can find all the info that you can and read them all because probably somewhere between all of it, there's probably what actually happened. So, um, Let's see what else do I have. Uh, okay, you know, there's a big deal, obviously, about um, Tucker uh, Tucker Carlson, who I am uh, still a fan of. I don't watch his show as often as I probably should. Uh, I always enjoyed him when he was on Fox. Uh, I've tried to wean myself from Fox as much as I can uh, using uh, other news sources. Um, I still uh, watch uh, Gutfeld because I, I think he's just hilarious and as far as late night television goes. Although he's not even really late night anymore. They got him in that nine o'clock lineup. I think he's on at nine, uh, nine mine time. So it'll probably be 10 Eastern. Uh, and I think that's because he was just, he was really doing well against the, uh, the post uh, late night news uh, talk shows on the networks. He was doing like fabulous uh, so I don't know, you know, how well he's doing in that slot, but uh, I DVR him, and half the time I watch him, and half the time I wind up deleting it without watching it. Uh, I still have the one with Dennis Miller from a couple weeks ago on uh, on the DVR that I uh, I want to watch because I'm a bit, always been a big Dennis Miller fan. Uh, and Miller's politics changed, uh, give or take, around when mine did, maybe before mine did. Uh, so I've always been able to kind of stay in sync with Dennis. Uh, used to be a real big thing to get back when his show on, was on HBO uh, to be able to get back to the house after uh, after work, go out on a Friday, have a couple of few drinks in a bar, and then wind up taking a cab home so I could uh, watch Dennis smoke a joint, and watch Dennis Miller. Um, so he was on uh, Gutfeld, uh, and uh, I have yet to watch that. Uh, but I am, and it, again, because I know there are people out there like Midwood, you really shouldn't be watching Fox. So I am, I am weaning myself from Fox. Um, I still watch The Five occasionally, uh, mainly because a lot of times I'm waking up. At four o'clock um, central time. Uh, in my defense, I am up to six to eight o'clock in the morning, so I'm not getting much more than eight or nine hours sleep. I'm just doing it in a different, you know, uh, a different shift, I guess would be the best way to put it. 
But um, so Tucker, uh, he's been gone from Fox now for a while. Um, I know he does uh, he does his own thing now. I believe it's Tucker Carlson, TuckerCarlson.com. Um, I've considered pointing up to ten bucks to get the content. I'm not 100% sure where I could usually just wait for it to show up because I think he puts uh, mo most of his more interesting stuff uh, up on X. He makes it available. Uh, but there's a big, uh, for those of you who have been living on the rock, there's a, a big to-do uh, because uh, Tucker is, uh, or apparently already did or is in the process. I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to piece together an actual time frame. But uh, he's uh, apparently uh, interviewed uh, Vladimir Putin. He went to, went to Moscow with his uh, production crew and interviewed uh, Putin, uh, which is really kind of interesting because uh, in all of, uh, I guess, how long is that war going on? Two years over going on? Two year mark? Over two years? Getting into that territory, I guess? Um, nobody's, you know, none of the Western media has uh, bothered to, uh, to even maybe even hear what Putin has to say. Uh, for those of us who are more in tune to Russia and uh, more, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, sympathetic to Russia, I mean, we, you know, we, we have been paying attention via uh, alternate media um, in regards to, uh, to what Putin has to say. So uh, I think, it, you know, it's interesting from the standpoint of that um, I really like Carlson. Uh, I liked him when he was at Fox. And now the fact that he's not in, he's not mainstream media, per se. Uh, I like him even more, I guess. Um, I don't know uh, how much he's, you know, how he's doing financially. Um, I know he's very friendly with Russell Brand. Uh, I was watching Russell Brand for a while, although I faded off with him uh, going back a couple of few months ago. Um, uh, what winds up happening is I rotate. It's just, there's just way too much media out there, which is why I'm always grateful when anybody takes the time to, to uh, listen or watch my show. Because uh, I understand how much it's just there's a ginormous amount of media out there, and I'm sure the vast majority of you do not get the chance to uh, to watch or listen to what you would like to on a regular basis, just from time restraints. Uh, and I have those same time restraints, believe it or not. You know, I can't, I can't, you know, live, uh, and breathe, and uh, ingest uh, media all day long. I, I just, I literally can't do. It. I need a break. I need to watch cartoons or something or another. You know, there's just, there's just way too much out there. Um. But I like the fact that he is independent media now, and uh, I like the fact um, that um, I, I I don't think he's going to be. Uh, you know what? I really I'm not really even really sure how this is going to go. I bet you it's going to go better than the Megyn Kelly interview did. If you recall, uh, Megyn Kelly uh, when she was uh, I believe when she was with Fox towards the end of her being with Fox, she uh, interviewed Putin. But that's got to be three four years ago, maybe something in that time frame. Uh, but there's you know the the left is is all. You know, up, up in arms. I mean, there's really no other way to put it uh, in regards to uh, to Tucker going to Moscow. Um, let's see. Uh, okay, this is probably the one. I had two on this, two stories. Uh, open up. Yeah, uh, this is uh, Mardinity, news, And this is EU uh, threatens Tucker with travel ban and sanctions. Uh, Carlson is not being a real journalist since he has clearly expressed his sympathy for the Russian regime and Putin. Okay. Globalist elites in European, in European Parliament have threatened to place sanctions and a travel ban on Tucker Carlson as a direct result of him interviewing Vladimir Putin, according to a report. Newsweek asserts that Guy Versthoft, former Belgian Prime Minister and current member of the European Parliament, told the outlet he wants a travel ban, calling Carlson a mouthpiece for Putin and Donald Trump. Uh, Versthoff added, as Putin is a war criminal and the EU sanctions all who assist him in that effort, it seems logical that the external action service exam, Carlson's case as well, um, the EU's external action services is the body uh, responsible for reviewing and presenting cases for sanction to the European Council, which would then make a decision. Versoff's threat is a lengthy bureaucratic journey away from becoming a reality. However, it betrays the mindset of such figures who believe that they have the authority to shut down and censor a journalist merely for talking to the leader of Russia. Louis uh, Garcano, a former MEP, also told Newsweek he agreed with Volstaff, stating that Carlson is no longer a newsman, but a propagandist for the most heinous regime on European soil, and one which is most dangerous to our peace and security. 
MEP Ernest Pat further charged, Carlson is not being a real journalist since he has clearly expressed his sympathy for the Russian regime and Putin and his constantly, has constantly disparaged Ukraine, the victim of Russian aggression. Uh, so for such propaganda for a criminal regime, you can add this to the list of sanctions. This concerns uh, primarily travel ban to European countries, uh, he added. Elon Musk, who has promised not to restrict the interview in any form when it is uploaded to X, responded to the report calling it disturbing. One, <clears throat> one may agree with Tucker or not, but he is a major American journalist and such an action would greatly offend the American public, Musk uh, posted, meaning, uh, I assume, meaning editing or not putting up the, uh, the interview on, uh, on X. Uh, Musk earlier declared that people calling for Carlson to be arrested for the crime of journalism should actually be the ones who are punished. Agreed. Musk himself has previously been threatened with sanctions by the EU unless he complies with demands to act on the so-called misinformation, air quotes, misinformation on X. Whilst last month, President of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, some European crap, uh, addressed elites at the World Economic Forum in Davos calling for overreaching globalist control over the flow of all information in the digital age. Yikes. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. But I do crib, uh, I give credit for Musk for uh, for not, uh, or at least uh, at the outset of all this, saying that he's not going to uh, not going to make it um, edited or, or anything of that nature. So, um Let's see. Okay, this is just another... I'm not quite sure. Uh, okay, yeah. This also... Uh, Tucker Carlson. This is from Reason. Uh, Reason.com. Let me get a little sip of water here. My Nalgene. Back to drinking coffee, but I, I'm drinking two small cups. Uh, during the course of the day. I have this 26-ounce um, uh, um, Yeti cup. You know, double walled. It's a tumbler. Um, and I was drinking like um, two, two and a half of those. So it was, I was drinking like almost two quarts of coffee, man. <laughs> like half a gallon of coffee. It was, it, with no meds, it was like, oh my God. It was pretty bad. So I've, I've dialed back the coffee. Um, I would say a, I'm probably going to reserve one of those cups of coffee for the show um next week meaning on uh wednesdays because i do want to get this up wednesday for thursday morning or maybe tuesday for uh wednesday afternoon kind of deal i'm still ultimately um when it does uh, settles entirely i'm still hoping to go live um uh on wednesday wednesday evening sometime uh again for about an hour and change but uh until then, I'm I'm obviously pre-recording and, and uploading, and I'm not really doing any editing. All I'm doing is just throwing uh, the opening and the close uh, on the beginning and uh, on the back end. Uh, so there's no it. I'm recording live, which obviously people do, and then I'm uploading it. There's no edits or fine tuning or any of that crap. You know me well enough. Like if I start playing with stuff like that, I'll just be doing it all day long, and it'll, it'll take me ten hours to produce an hour show, and, and that's just ridiculous. Uh, so that being said, uh. That was more in reference to coffee than anything else. That's where that thread got started. Here we go. Uh, this is uh, journalism. So this is an opinion piece uh, out of reason. Tucker Carlson is no traitor for doing uh, journalism. Everybody has a right to speak and then take the heat. Oh, and this was uh, TD Too Silly. Uh, is journalism a trip to a hostile country? Is journalists... <laughs> Is a journalist trip to a hostile country treason? Should that journalist be barred from the U.S. on the chance that he's performing an act of journalism, such as interviewing a foreign leader? The answer to both these questions, for anybody who isn't a jackass, is no. And yet Tucker, Tucker Carlson's presence in Russia has excited a frenzy of speculation and protest because of the controversial talking heads' pulpist politics. Uh, media treason. Perhaps we need a total and complete shutdown of Tucker Carlson's re-entering the United States until our country's representatives can figure out what is going on, the Bullock editor at large, uh, Bill Crystal snarked on reports that Carlson was in Moscow. Former GOP congressman Adam Kunzinger 
went further, calling Carlson a traitor for visiting Russia's capital amongst rumors that the journalist traveled to interview Russia's thuggish president, Vladimir Putin. Carlson later confirmed the rumors on X, formerly Twitter. If so, Mr. Carlson would be the first American media figure to land a formal interview with the Russian leader since he invaded Ukraine nearly two years ago, observed Zim Rutenberg uh, and uh, Melina Marzava of the New York Times. Rutenberg and Marzava uh, noted that Russia's own journalists face tight restrictions and that Mr. Putin's government has been holding Evan Groshovsky, a Wall Street journalist reporter, in jail for nearly a year. Journalism is what journalists do. This is entirely true, but it is not at all uncommon for journalists to interview foreign political leaders, including complete scumbags. Gathering information is core to the job, and powerful figures on the world stage are and should be of interest to the public, especially if they pose a potential or real danger. Vladimir Putin was the subject of an interview with Barbara Walters back in 2001. In 2015, Reuters interviewed China's president, probably uh, for life, Jin, uh, ex Jinpu, Jinping, let's get that wrong, um, about his intentions on the world stage. Orla Gerlin of the BBC spoke with Venezuela's dictatorial Nicolas Maduro in 2019. Last October, in the wake of Hamas's bloody attack on Israel, the economist Zani Minton uh, Bidos sat down with Mustafa Abba Mazark a senior official with the terrorist group, to try and understand his thinking. The interview with Mazarik may come to the closest to the present-day interview with Putin because of the context of Hamas's attack and Russia's invasion of Ukraine. For most Americans, both figures are wildly unsympathetic. But it is not the job of the journalists to speak only with popular figures who give their audiences a warm and fuzzy feeling. They're supposed to gather news about everybody, including terrible people who are responsible for war, tyranny, and murder. And there's a real value in understanding the motives and goals of people who play an important role on the world stage. How does Hamas justify the atrocities committed by Israel, the economist wrote of the Mazarik interview? Why has it done this? What does it plan to do with the hostages? Putin plays a comparatively bigger role on the world stage, controlling an entire major country and its nuclear arsenal. Some insights into where he's coming from could be helpful. I can't believe the idea that Tucker Carlson is a traitor for doing an interview with anyone who was taken seriously. Are, are people two years old? I remember when it was a destination television if you, uh, U.S. anchors scored an interview with the Ayatollah or a Soviet premier. Journalist Matt Taibbi, who built an independent presence on Substack, pointed out in an effort to bring uh, the measures uh, of sanity to the discussion. Of course, Tucker Carlson raises eyebrows because he's a nationalist and a pulpist and seen as, among other unpleasant things, overly sympathetic to Putin's government. Washington can post media critics Eric Wimple called Carlson a Putin apologist, while MSNBC Alex Wagner referred to him as one of the biggest cheerleaders for Russia. Honestly, Russian officials seem to agree that they've highlighted his coverage for years as representing a relatively friendly voice in the United States media. Uh, everybody gets to speak. But that doesn't matter. In free societies, people have the right to embrace whatever political views they like, whether their personal lives or in their professional careers. Those, uh, those views are certainly fair game for criticism, and the more public the figure, the more legitimate a target they are for high-profile takedowns. But a person's ideology is neither a ticket to ride nor a bar to entry for trying to make a living as a journalist. Or at least it shouldn't be if we're going to have anything resembling a free media. Having been fired from Fox, Carlson built a following on X. Whenever anybody may think of the man and his views, I'm not a fan. It's all to our benefit that there's a space for diverse viewpoints espoused by people who don't need permission from gatekeepers to gather and report news, comment on events, and build followings. The more people engage in journalism with whom we disagree, especially if we disagree with them in different ways, the more likely that media is uncensored, uh, healthy and making a fair attempt at getting their job done. If we agree with the few voices too, then so much the better. Uh, not for the first dictator stand to do uh, journalism. Okay. Besides, if Tucker is a sympathetic to a foreign dictator or an authoritarian in his beliefs or just plain politically repulsive, 
he wouldn't exactly be breaking news ground among journalists. In an excellent 2019 film, Mr. Jones documented Gareth Jones' uphill struggle to reveal the truth of Homodor, a deliberate famine inducted on the Ukrainian people by Joseph Stalin's communist regime. Among the obstacles to reporting the story were the pro-Soviet journalists such as Walter Durdy of the New York Times, who won a Pulitzer Prize on the behalf of Stalin. No doubt Carlson sees himself in the Jones truth teller role here, although he may well be more of a Durante stand-in. But that's a verdict to be rendered by the public debate in the passage of time, not only by the mob-screaming traitor at somebody who wanders from the ideological reservation. Uh, and there's certainly nothing to be gained by speculating about barring a journalist from a country because you disagree with his views or his work. Even if we were allowed that, Crystal is going, even if we allowed that, Crystal is just joking. He's written some terrible things himself, cheerleading for the Iraq war comes to mind that invite harsh treatment. But Crystal, like Carlson, shouldn't be barred from the country or from the uh, journalism for wrong think. A free society and a free press demand that all voices be welcome to speak. Then once they've spoken, they're fair game for whatever heat is directed their way. So I thought that that was uh, an excellent piece, not for nothing. And again, that was a uh, reason. Um, so yeah, man. <laughs> you know, without a doubt, uh, I uh, I mean, I'm, I would definitely uh, still consider myself to be pro-Russian, as far as I'm concerned. Ukraine is historically part of Russia uh, as a whole, let alone the, uh, the part of Ukraine uh, where there are uh, basically ethnic Russians have been living forever. <laughs> you know, if we go back and we look at the Russian Empire, it's just, it, it's just not for nothing. Half of Poland belongs to Russia, for Christ's fucking sake. So, uh, um, I doubt that they're going to take that back anytime soon. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a, a tenuous situation in as much as um, I think that Ukraine has hoard itself to the West uh, in such a significant fashion as to pose a, uh, a security risk uh, to Russia and uh, to ethnic Russians living in Ukraine. So uh, I believe that Russia is fully within its rights to uh, attempt to uh, annex whatever part of Ukraine it wishes, including the whole fucking place. Not for nothing. Done. And over. So that being said, uh, why there hasn't been a hammer dropped and why it's taking so long, um, I'm not really sure. I mean, if you look at what the fucking Israelis have done in Gaza uh, in fucking since October, <laughs> right? And you look at what the Russians have done in uh, in freaking Ukraine in two years. Um, you know, it's I I guess if they're not going for a scorched earth policy, that's for sure. But in, in any case, uh, I continue to be uh, pro-Russian, and I will uh, I will remain that way. And again, uh, my father's family's people are of uh, Russian descent from Ukraine. You know, you want to call them Ukrainians in the sense of the Ukraine is a, always been a vassal of uh, of Russia, and not for nothing. If you go back historically far enough, uh, friggin' Kiev was the center of, uh, of the basically the Russian capital or the capital of the Rus people. Uh, if you go back uh, a thousand years, so. Uh, it's history. Go look it up. Go look up history of Russia. You'll see. It's there. Nobody's making it up. Uh, so, that's my Russia stuff. Uh, what do I got? Mm, okay. Let's see. This is... This is a little random. Oh, okay. This is COVID-related. Uh, this is at uh, justthenews.com. And this is uh, Charlotte uh, Hazard. Uh, Texas, uh, wait, let me make sure I got this right. Yeah. Texas AG Paxson says Pfizer lied about efficiency of COVID vaccine. It says it's less than 10%. And this was published uh, on the 7th. Let me get rid of that so I can see. Republican Texas Attorney General Ken Paxson argued that Wednesday that the pharmaceutical company Pfizer lied about the efficiency of the COVID-19 vaccine and the effectiveness could only could be lower than 10%. They claimed that it was 95% effective, Paxson said. They never tested it because Congress gave them immunity from liability, so they have no incentive to test it. They tested it for a couple of days, but then didn't really know, and then went on and tested it live with us. When they started realizing that the results were not 95%, that they were less than 10%, maybe as low as 1%, they started censoring people. 
Last year, Paxson announced a lawsuit against Pfizer claiming that the company misrepresented the effectiveness of the COVID-19 vaccine to its uh, consumers. Uh, Pfizer did not tell the truth about their COVID-19 vaccines, whereas the Biden administration weaponized the pandemic to force illegal public health decrees on the public and to enrich pharmaceutical companies. I will use every tool I have to protect our citizens who were missled and harmed by the Pfizer's actions, a press release from uh, Paxson's office read. Uh, Paxson added that, uh, Paxson added during the Just the News No Noise interview that the government had censored people over this information and he would continue to fight those efforts. So yeah, you know, it, it, it's, it's more and more frightening to me as time goes by, um, how, uh, misled we were. I, I mean, you, you could argue, believe me, I know more than a few people could easily turn to me and not, for nothing, half turned to me and said, well, I was an idiot for buying into it at all. And and they're most likely would be correct in that analysis, not for nothing. I, I pretty much was an idiot for buying it. Um, I've stated my reasons before. I was vaccinated. And I, I kept up with uh, whatever aftershots and whatnot. Um, I was concerned about um, the health of the other people living in the house that I was with, meaning naming my aunt who eventually died uh, from her illnesses and uh, from the producer who uh, still has heart issues and whose heart issues were pretty bad. Uh, during that whole uh, period of time uh, where this was all going on. Uh, so I was thinking more of other people than I was myself. As far as uh, have I had any ill effects as a result of my vaccines, and I believe are all, are all my vaccines with Pfizer, uh, no. But, uh, you know, I guess we still don't know long-term because, like I said, they did not do testing. So I can't turn around and say that uh, none of my health issues uh uh, 10 years from now, 15, 20 years from now, provided I'm still alive, uh, would uh, not have been able to be avoided if I uh, if I hadn't taken the vaccine. Uh, but I did. And again, more and more is coming out. And I think um, people will be a lot more uh, weary uh, going forward uh, next time. Uh, and I do suspect that there will be a next time. Uh, hopefully we learn, because I know I have. So... Uh, you know, sometimes you have to learn things the hard way. So, uh, what else do I have? Uh, I don't know if I want to talk about that. Do, do, do. Oh, this is, a, this is a thing on immigration. This was out of the Federalist. This is an opinion piece uh, that I thought was interesting. Uh, the border crisis. This was uh, it's a seven-minute read. It says, uh, B.L. B. L. Han... Uh, put this out. Uh, this is without mass deportations, America's demographics shift will result in radical politics. Uh, Democrats understand that the short-term backlash, uh, backlash for our open borders is just the cost for a long-term payoff in maintaining power. The much-anticipated Senate border bill unveiled uh, this week is another example of the destructive and unserious people who lead the nation. President Biden and the Democrats are now blaming Republicans for failing to pass the bill, but the reality is that for open borders, Democratic Party, everything is going according to plan. The Democratic Party is well on its way to fundamentally changing America's demographics, all to secure what they believe will eventually become an unbeatable coalition of new voters. To understand the progress they've made, consider that in 2018, Research conducted at MIT and Yale determined that the most accurate population estimates of illegal aliens residing in the U.S. for was 22.1 million. Given the staggering surge of illegal aliens on the Biden administration, that estimate would now be in the range of 30 plus million. To put that in perspective, if we created a 51st state comprised entirely of illegal aliens, its population would be larger than every other state except California, and it would be 77% of the entire population of Canada. Going forward, even if somehow, going forward, even if we somehow prevented 100% of future illegal alien immigration, it only buys us time and not much. Democrats know this, of course, and it's been the reason they continue to accept short-term backlash for an open border in exchange for long-term payoff. By pointing out illegal aliens cannot vote, the left claims that the whole thing is a racist conspiracy theory. This disingenuous tactic ignores three things. One, 
Democrats have routinely tried to pass some sort of amnesty that would eventually show illegal aliens to vote. Two, children of illegal aliens born in the U.S. can legally vote when they turn 18. Three, in 2020, Joe Biden carried Georgia, Wisconsin, and Arizona by a total of 45,000 votes, meaning a presidential election could be decided by only 0.15% of the illegal population voting in the right states. Two of those three points are hypotheticals, amnesty and illegal alien voting, but the other is a mathematical certainty. Children are the future, and this is where the left has placed its chips. Assuming we can prevent amnesty by passing, while magically stopping approximately 30 million illegals from voting in perpetuity, children born to illegal aliens are turning 18 every year in tranches. Unless there is a titanic shift in voting demographics, each tranche makes it more difficult for Republicans to win elections. Democrats don't need to pass amnesty. They don't need illegal aliens to vote. They just need to wait it out. The cost we pay. Illegal immigration is wreaking havoc on our hospitals, schools, housing, public lands, and budgets while facilitating a drug epidemic that kills scores of Americans. Not to worry, our best people are on the case. Savvy New York City Mayor Eric Adams helped craft a plan to dissuade more illegals from coming. The solution? Spoil them rotten. New York City is creating a program that uses taxpayer money to fund $53 million worth of prepaid credit cards for illegal aliens. Adams insists this will save taxpayers money. How does that work, you might ask? According to Adams, the current method through which taxpayers are forced to foot the bill for illegals would end up costing more than $53 million. The illegal aliens receiving these prepaid credit cards must pinky swear to use the money only for food and baby supplies. City officials gave the meaningless promise a fancy name, affidavit, so unsuspecting voters will be duped into thinking it's worth something. Adams also notes that they will prioritize culturally relevant diets for illegal aliens. They're picky eaters, you see. We wouldn't want taxpayers funding cuisine to disappoint the people who have jumped our borders. That would be downright cruel. These programs are a fantastic way to get illegal aliens and their children accustomed to government handouts as soon as they step foot in America, while making sure they eventually vote for the politicians who promise to keep the gravy trains running. Mass migration is also creating a new brazen crime wave. One recent example is the brutal assault of two New York City police officers by a mob of illegal aliens. Not to be upstaged by Eric Adams, though, uh, approach New York City Governor Kathy Huchel finally put her foot down in response to the crime. When asked if deportation for these men should be on the table, Huchel said it, would be, it should be looked at and was definitely worth checking into. Duh. Instead, illegals responsible for the assault were released without bail, flipping their middle fingers to media's cameras and fled to California. It's worth considering that if Joe Biden's America has become such a joke that illegals will beat the tar out of police offices in broad daylight without fear, maybe some of them are convinced that they can also get away with voting. I believe those, uh, those uh, illegals were apprehended in California and are on their way back to New York uh, to face uh, criminal charges, I believe, by the way, as an amendment. I don't know. I don't, Again, I don't know if this was mentioned in the story. Um, can uh, Republicans win with this demographic becomes the question, right? Okay, so uh, it is something, uh, it is sometimes said that because a large percentage of illegal aliens are Hispanic, Republicans can win them over as conservative culture values are common in the Hispanic community. This theory remains unproven. It is also cultural values supersede financial incentives and it would require assimilation on a massive scale. Um, just to insert something here, uh, I believe that that, as far as Hispanics and having more in common with Republicans than Democrats, uh, I believe that that used to be true. I believe older generation uh, Hispanics um, uh, were um, were Catholic uh, and, and very strong in their Catholicism, and I believe that that made them culturally uh, conservative as well as a result of that. But I believe mean, a lot of younger folks, uh, and I experienced this with my 13 years in, uh, in Providence, uh, where we had a lot of, uh, a lot of Dominicans, uh, and, uh, a fair amount of Mexicans in South America and pretty much the whole gamut, Central America. Um, they were, uh, evangelical, uh, which really flips things a bit. And you would think evangelicals are just conservative, but we're not talking like Southern Baptist evangelicals. So we're talking, um, you know, uh, Latino 
evangelical. So that's a bit different. So you can't really, I, I think it's, it's a mistake for the Republicans to count on the, his, on the Hispanic vote. Uh, just like it's a mistake for the Democrats to count on the black vote on a consistent level. It's something that needs to be earned uh, through, uh, through actions and similarity and platform and, and common values and goals. Uh, it's not something, uh, and I believe the Democrats lose more and more black vote every fucking day. Every fucking day, people getting tired. You even had what was it? Was it was it Fifty Cent? I forget who it was. One of the rappers was saying that hey, maybe maybe Trump is the answer. So that's uh, utterly utterly totally fascinating to me. So, uh, but demographics, voting, and demographics—it's why that's why politics is. You know, to me, it's always been exciting in sports because, uh, I mean, it's what's all year long and it's it's terribly interesting. You know, you get into the minutiae of it and the guts and the actual numbers and it's like, holy smokes, <laughs> never run into stuff to talk about, uh, which is good because then I'd have to sit here talking about myself and I get tired of doing that. Uh, so anyway, can Republicans win with this demographic? Next paragraph in the article. Uh, it, is, it is sometimes said that because a large percentile of illegal aliens are Hispanic, Republicans can win them over as conservative culture values are common with the Hispanic community. Uh, this theory remains unproven. It assumes cultural values supersede financial incentives, and it would require assimilation on a massive scale, uh, which is true. You also got to remember, um, you know, as far as uh, blacks and Latinos, um, all these people coming in over the border, uh, especially people who jumped in line and didn't do it properly, are taking uh, resources, whether it be government resources um, or jobs or whatever, away from minorities. Uh, and they're less than thrilled with that. I mean, I think the community that, that, that loses the most in all of this is most likely the black community. Uh, and I will have you recall that when uh, President Trump had the border under control, that um, friggin' uh, minority employment, uh, that being black and Hispanics, were at all-time highs. Fact. Again, uh, the economy was doing so well, it's entirely crazy. Uh, and COVID changed all that, of course. Uh, but no, uh, President Trump's economy was uh, was incredible. Absolutely incredible. Uh, let's see. So where are we? Okay. Assimilation is no longer celebrated by American institutions as it's been replaced by the left's religious tenets of diversity, multiculturalism, and anti-whiteness. As our nation becomes more diverse, tribal politics pay dividends for the left. And as race animosity ensures our country becomes a powder keg waiting to blow. This is hardly an environment that could cultivate the kind of integration required to assimilate tens of millions of people while simultaneously trying to assimilate more than one million legal immigrants we take in every year. The conservative cultural values argument has also assumes that cultural values supersede financial incentives. Illegal aliens and many recent legal immigrants are poor with little or no skills, and whatever skills they possess will become less valuable in time as AI and other technologies displace low-skilled workers. Dependence on welfare programs will increase as a result, and despite whatever conservative cultural values these people may or may not hold, how likely it is that a majority will consistently vote in one election after another to eliminate checks and the kind of benefits they and in kind benefits they receive from the government. Um, I do. <laughs> not for nothing, but you know, I'm, again, I'm on SSI because of my uh, my bipolar and uh, my uh, my back issues. Uh, but I vote. I don't vote. I don't vote Democrat. Um, so I guess you, you one can theoretically vote against their own best interests uh, if they feel it's in the best interest of their country, which I generally do. So that's why I always have. Uh, more importantly, whether most illegal aliens will eventually assimilate is likely a pointless debate because the nation is in such dire straits we cannot afford to wait a generation or two for the mere possibility that assimilation will occur on a grand scale. If the Democratic Party of today, and especially of tomorrow, were to gain even temporary control of the federal government that included a supermajority in the Senate, the damage inflicted would be irreparable uh, if they were to succeed in establishing a new coalition of voters who usher in sweeping victories, the left would no longer fear electoral consequences for the increasingly deranged politics and their lunacy with no, no bounds. Isn't that the truth? Uh, it's for these reasons and more, the next president must mobilize the federal government to deport as many illegal aliens as possible, beginning with violent criminals and the most recent arrivals. 
Our asylum system, which is scanned by millions of foreign nationals, must be scrapped, and we need a southern border wall. Our current trajectory is not sustainable, and while the task will be difficult, it is far better than watching the greatest civilization that's ever existed go down the drain because we didn't want to be perceived as mean. That was well written. Oh, wait, okay. It's not religious or moral defensibility to destroy. It is not religious or moral. De it is not religious or morally defensive to destroy our nation because we don't want to inconvenience people who break our laws by coming here illegally. We must become a nation that enforces its most basic and necessary feature, its borders. Well, that was a very good article. Um, well, without a borders, we are a nation. There's no, we are not a sovereign nation without borders. So, I mean, that goes uh, without saying. So there, there really isn't anything uh, to talk about on that level. Um, it is, uh, you know, I, uh, it's weird. Uh, I know I've said this, I think I said this last show, right? I'm in Texas, you know, and if y'all recall, um, it was living in Texas that was gateway and immigration that was gateway for me to the right. Uh, I was pretty much uh, center left, farther to the left, uh, even during my incarceration and, and after my incarceration. Uh, it was living in uh, in Garland, Texas, uh, that uh, which is a suburb, the first suburb right outside of, or not even the first city, town, uh, outside of Dallas. Um, that got me to feel like I was living in northern Mexico. So, I mean, I really, I literally, literally felt that I felt like I, I was living in another country. Uh, and it made me angry, you know, obviously. And uh, then I uh, moved to uh, to Rhode Island, uh, to Providence, um, with, uh, you know, living with my aunt. And my mother's family, again, was always from Rhode Island, but uh, my aunt was the only one who was actually from the capital city. And that was living, like, in a little bubble in, in South Providence, uh, South of Providence, uh, Elmwood, whatever you want to call it. She used to call it South of Providence, like it was, uh, or uh, friggin', um, like the French Riviera or something, which I always thought was hilarious. <laughs> but, uh, so I lived in another bubble. I lived in another Hispanic bubble. Uh, so that really, you know, and again, a sanctuary city. Uh, so that really, you know, frosted my, uh, my gonads, <laughs> as they say. Uh, but I gotta honestly say, I'm back in Texas, and I live, uh, you know, other than when I go, um, like in the town, and when I say town, I mean Bastrop, which is like 10 miles from here. Um, I encounter uh, a large uh, Hispanic population, both amongst shoppers, people shopping like I am, and a lot of the people who work in the places that I'm shopping at um, are Hispanic. And uh, everybody's, you know, pleasant. There doesn't, I haven't run into anything or anyone that I would perceive to be a low life, believe it or not. Yeah, I know. I'm going on five, six months. Now, I'm not in a lot of contact with people. But I am in some contact with people. Uh, seems to be mostly families and whatnot. Um, so it's a day and night. It's a day and night thing. It's not like uh, it's not like Eagle Pass. You know what I mean? Where they're literally right there on the Rio Grande. People are coming by and you know coming in. And uh, you know I've said this very many times before. The, the the border between Mexico and Texas. There have always been people who lived on the border. You know, and so there's always been a, a shared culture in that particular area in border towns border cities uh but when you have and that's for generations yeah you know, but when you have people coming from the far interior of mexico or just coming through mexico from uh other you know farther deeper into central america or even south america or who knows from where else chinese nationals who the fuck knows where you know um yeah you know <laughs> no, oh, we need to shut. We need to shut the border down. I, I literally believe we need a moratorium. We need to shut the friggin' border down. Figure out what's going on, round up and deport as many people as we can, and then go back to making these people wait in Mexico, and do exactly what President Trump did last time, which was force Mexico to put troops on its own border. Uh, and if you recall correctly, or I recall correctly, and you may recall. Uh, he did that by uh, putting uh, tariffs, or at least threatening to put tariffs on Mexican goods uh, coming into the United States. Uh, so it's it's we know it's doable. This is it's not like some sort of oh fantasy hypothetical. It was done. It worked. It was effective. Uh, the only reason that it stopped working was because uh, Grandpa Joe dismantled it. Literally, the wall, to some degree, 
and dog whistled that everybody and their brother should come here and that the federal government wouldn't do anything about it. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, there's, I, there, I, you know, there's no, I've been watching stuff where there, there's lefties saying that, oh, they're, 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 that's not really happening at the border. They're making that up. They're making, the border patrol itself is lying. Yeah, the, one, 100%. It's this giant grand conspiracy to create an issue that isn't really there. People are fucking hilarious. I, uh, I read, and, and it's, I'm, I'm kind of scared for the future, you know, um, I read Reddit a lot. I go to a, a couple of different subreddits on Reddit, and Texas, the Texas subreddit is one of them. And uh, I don't know whether it's just that uh, younger people are more inclined to use the internet. Um, I, you know, I'm moving into 54 in April, so I don't, I'm obviously not a younger person anymore. Uh, I know each generation is uh, more liberal than the one behind it to one degree or another. And I also know historically, too, that people become more conservative as they grow older. But uh, I'm, it just, it, I, when I read the Texas Reddit, I become concerned uh, for the future of Texas as a whole. Um, now, we know Austin is probably the most liberal place um, in Texas. It's, uh, it's not even purple. It's, it's blue it's very very blue um as you go into the uh, suburbs and you move farther out it becomes red again to a degree there's still a lot of uh, agriculture still uh there's still a lot of uh you know um farming in regards to uh animals and you know uh as i said uh uh crops and whatnot so historically farmers are generally a little bit more conservative uh these are god-fearing people you know, they go to church. These would, these would be, uh, whether they'd be born again, or I don't know if all, all Baptists are, uh, Southern Baptists are born again. There's it, denominational breakdown in there as well, too. Uh, but just by reading the subreddit, I, I, I become concerned. But I, I, like I said, I tempered that with the fact that it's most likely young people. And young people don't know shit from Shinola. Um, not for nothing. I really didn't know shit from Shinola when I was a young person. Um... I, uh, I excused a lot, let's just say. You know, there's a difference between not knowing something or, or being aware of it and choosing to ignore it because it doesn't fit your chosen narrative. Uh, I believe I went through a lot of that when I was younger. You know, you know where I was raised. I mean, you know, anybody who watches or listens to this show on a regular basis know, uh, know what I came out of. Um, I was even talking to, to John uh, uh, last week. And um, he was saying he had heard from someone, uh, one of his listeners, and uh, they were really surprised uh, at the difference in uh, viewpoint uh, in politics uh, between John and I, considering that one I was on the uh, on the network, you know, Radio New York International, and uh, you know the fact that I had I had you know uh, was a longtime staff member of uh, of John's show. Uh, they were like, wow, you know, but you know, it's, it's John and I kind of laugh about it because it's good. You know, we feel it's good that there's, uh, that there's diversity there, uh, you know, uh, within 11LR and I itself. Uh, you know, you're not, it's not just, uh, you know, I can look and I know what I'm doing on, on the network and I can say, I know that, um, he's doing what he's doing and I'm doing what I'm doing. And, and between those two things, uh, between those two viewpoints, there's value in the fact and it makes the overall, uh, network uh, broader, I think, and it makes it a better thing. Um, that being said, I uh, I think I'm going to look to get out of here. Um, let's just see, do I have any uh, closing? Whatever, I am going to try and make it back uh, next week. Like I said, actually being here, but I'm actually in the studio. Uh, there's no green screen. I don't know when I'm going to get my green screen up, and uh, I am still working on the lighting. So, um, I may. When it's all said and done, I'm toying with the idea of just going back to audio only. Um, I'm not 100% sure. I really like doing audio only because I don't have to worry about lighting. I don't have to worry about a lot of stuff. But by the same token, I have all the equipment. It's just a matter of getting it and setting it up. And like I said, if we're going to be moving um, across to the other house, I, I'm i not quite sure how much I want to build my studio out um, with all my video. It would probably be easier for me just to get my mixer and, you know, do a little wiring and do a little basic wiring and maybe get the audio chain in line, that sort of shit. Um, 
It's, it scares me a little bit how simple it is to just be able to set my tablet up, record, and go, and then drop in my opening close and be done with it. I mean, it's, it's you know, when, when I think about how overblown, to some degree or another, my equipment, my quote-unquote studio, and my equipment is, it's, you know. But, as I always say, it's simple enough where more people should be doing this. 100% agree with that. More people should be podcasting, they should be using social media, they should be doing something. If you have an opinion, to a degree, you have a responsibility to express it. People have died for your right to do so. Uh, and may in the future. So anyway, that being said, uh, it's always fun. Um, I thank you uh, for tuning in uh, and imbibing, uh, whether uh, you do so via video, whether you do so via audio. As always, uh, the audio will be available at elefmidwood.com, as you know, and the video will be available over at Rumble. So that being said, um, I'll see you all next week. Thanks. You've been listening to The Midwood Files on Radio New York International. Thanks for listening. R-E-I.